This podcast discusses cases in which a crime may have occurred. It's important to advise that all parties mentioned or generally referred to on dirty money moves are presumed innocent until proven guilty by law. Opinions and viewpoints expressed on this podcast don't necessarily reflect those of the podcast host, Murderish, or Cloud10 Media. This episode mentions thoughts of suicide, though we don't go into much detail. Please take care while listening. Our last episode, episode three, detailed some of the reprehensible scams that Tara Lee pulled on so many of her vulnerable clients, prospective adoptive parents, as well as birth parents. She befriended them, gained their trust, and then took their money, and in some cases, coerced them into giving up their babies. Tara told horrible lies about birth mothers being murdered, babies dying during childbirth, or mothers deciding to keep their babies, when in reality, there wasn't a mother or baby at all. And in the few cases where babies did exist, Tara often double-matched them and collected double fees, all the while promising the baby to both families. Thanks to the efforts of several adoptive parents and the lawyers who worked with Tara, the FBI was notified and given a ton of information to go on. The FBI conducted a thorough investigation, raided Tara's house, and eventually arrested Tara on federal charges. But just like she had in the past, Tara had a hard time following the court's rules, which got her into more hot water. She even pulled her own daughter into the mess. Hundreds of victims across the country were eventually identified, and it was determined that Tara stole millions of dollars over the four years she ran Always Hope. The FBI also identified a woman who helped Tara pull off some of her schemes. And, as it turned out, this was not her first rodeo either. From Murderish and Cloud 10 Media, this is Dirty Money Moves, Women in White Collar Crime, a podcast that dives into one story told over several weekly episodes. In season two, I'm taking you along as I look into a woman with an expensive taste for luxury jewelry and accessories who satisfied her desires by taking money from the vulnerable and disadvantaged. A woman who preyed on the hopes and dreams of hundreds of desperate people, destroying countless families for generations to come. A con artist of the worst kind, whose cruelty knew no limits. This is episode four, To Bond or Not to Bond. Once the FBI became aware of Tara Lee in July of 2018, they began an investigation into her and Always Hope. Lawyers Talia Getting, Tanya Corrado, and Maria Panchenko spent a lot of time creating a spreadsheet for the FBI, documenting every adoption they were aware of and any issues they'd been able to uncover. Even though they had dug up a ton of information, it still didn't include everything that Tara had done. On November 8th, FBI agents, U.S. Attorney Sarah Woodward, and Tara's former assistant, Chelsea Kaufman, 
met with Talia and Tanya to go over some case details. Chelsea had some key information for the FBI. She knew the layout of Tara's house and the location of Tara's computer files. The next day, November 9th, FBI agents showed up on Tara's doorstep, search warrant in hand, and Detroit TV station WXYZ was there to record the scene as it unfolded. At the time, it was unclear to the media why the FBI was searching the home or who lived there. It would take a few weeks for WXYZ investigative reporter Heather Catalo to track down the reasons for the raid, and on December 4th, she reported Tara's name on the air for the first time. Last month, we showed you how FBI agents searched this home in New Haven, Michigan. The seven investigators have now learned why. The woman under scrutiny by the feds is 37-year-old Tara Lynn Lee. Catalo told viewers about each of the troubling allegations against Tara and Always Hope, and interviewed Tara's lawyer, Sanford Schulman. Catalo wasn't shy about asking tough questions and seemed to catch Schulman a little off guard when she asked if Tara was taking money from prospective adoptive families. Um, she was facilitating adoptions, and you could be compensated for that. And it was all, everybody was completely aware of everything. There was no sneaking around, or it was all documented. It was all, I think, legitimized by the paperwork. It doesn't seem like Schulman had a lot of confidence in his client's story, judging from that interview. Catalo's news segment changed everything. Now, everyone knew what Tara had been up to. Adoptive families and birth mothers started calling Tara, questioning things, many choosing not to move forward with adoptions. If Tara wasn't already unhinged at this point, this scandal definitely pushed her over the edge. She began calling clients, trying to downplay the FBI investigation, saying a few disgruntled adoptive parents whose adoptions hadn't worked out were just trying to cause problems and it wasn't a big deal. Tara even told a married couple who she'd grown close to that Talia and Tanya were trying to frame her and steal her company. This couple, Adam and Kyle Bells Thomas, were one of the few to have a successful adoption through Tara on their first try. By the time news of the investigation came out, however, they'd gone through three more adoption tries and all of them failed. They'd given Tara over $50,000, According to a 2021 New Yorker article by Sheila Kolhatkar, Tara called Adam and Kyle multiple times when her clients began abandoning her after seeing the news reports. She insisted that the FBI investigation was going to be dropped very soon and let them know that she had another birth mother for them. Even in the midst of an active investigation, it seems Tara was still trying to pull off scams. She was really coming apart at the seams. At one point, Tara called Kyle and suggested she was thinking about killing herself. It's possible that the reality of the situation was sinking in and Tara was legitimately in a dark place. It's also possible that Tara was just trying to manipulate Adam and Kyle to make them feel sorry for her and to believe that she was wrongly accused. It seems like Tara's tactics worked because that's exactly what the couple were thinking 
right up until the criminal complaint was filed. Special Agent Matthew Sluss had been with the FBI since 2017 and had a lot of experience with fraud investigations. He filed a criminal complaint and an arrest warrant for Tara on January 10th of 2019, alleging felony wire fraud. The complaint only included enough facts to show probable cause for a warrant, but what Agent Sluss described in the document was reprehensible. The allegations in here are shocking. Everything from Lee having a woman call an adoptive couple and pretend to be a pregnant birth mom to promising one couple a baby from a woman Tara Lee had never even met. According to WXYZ News, Agent Sluss began the complaint by saying he had received information in October of 2018 that Tara was facilitating adoptions and defrauding clients by double-matching birth mothers or matching families to birth mothers who didn't exist. He discovered that Tara operated Always Hope under several different names. Always Hope Adoption Pregnancy Center, TL Pregnancy Services, and TL Doula Services. Tara was not licensed in the state of Michigan to match birth mothers with adoptive families, and Always Hope was not a licensed adoption agency. Not only that, In 2015 and 2018, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services investigated Always Hope. Both investigations found that Always Hope was in violation of numerous licensing regulations and that Tara was providing adoption services without a license. Somehow, Tara found a way to keep working on adoptions despite these findings. The FBI discovered that Tara was also not a licensed social worker, as she'd claimed to be, and that her supposed master's degree from Northwestern University was a fake. They contacted the university and were told that not only does the school not offer a Master of Social Work degree, but no one by the name of Tara Lee had ever received any degree from Northwestern University. After studying Tara and the adoptions she arranged, the FBI noticed a distinct pattern in how she operated. First, Tara would advertise a birth mother opportunity to her network of referral agencies. Once an adoptive family communicated their interest in the opportunity, they would send Tara their personal information. Next, Tara would let the adoptive family know that a birth mother had chosen them, also known as being matched, She would collect payment at the time of the match, ranging from $10,000 to $33,000, with an additional payment due at the time of the adoption. Sometimes, Tara would tell two sets of adoptive families that the same birth mother had chosen them, and then Tara would collect payment from both families, aka a double match. Other times, the birth mother was either not actually pregnant, pregnant but not interested in adoption, or didn't exist at all. These were called fabricated matches. Agent Sluss noted in the complaint that Tara collected payments for numerous double matches and fabricated matches. Sluss mentioned that Tara's home was searched on November 9th of 2018 and that her cell phone was seized. He then described multiple double matches and fabricated matches with specific victims and dollar amounts. 
including any relevant text messages that were found on Tara's phone. Birth mothers that were most likely real were listed as Jane Doe's in order to protect their identity. Several of Tara's adoption opportunities included photographs of the supposed birth mother, which the FBI used to show visual proof that Tara was using the same birth mother for multiple families. Agent Sluss even talked about a specific fabricated match, including a birth mom named Rashonda, spelled R-A-S-H-A-U-N-D-A, where the adoptive family paid Tara $15,000. It was the story we mentioned in episode three, where Tara told a family their baby died after the birth mother had been shot and killed, the one where Tara asked the family to donate to the funeral fund, a fund that didn't even exist. Turns out, that adoptive family became very suspicious of Tara after that and requested a refund. Tara only gave in after the family threatened her with legal action. She ended up writing them a check for $8,550. Agent Sluss interviewed Tara about this particular match on the day her house was searched. He presented Tara with a photo of Rashonda and asked Tara who it was. Tara said, that's Chantel, and then clarified that her legal name was Roshonda, but she used the wrong spelling of the woman's name. She spelled it R-O-S-H-A-N-D-A, which Agent Sluss noticed immediately. Tara proceeded to tell Agent Sluss that Roshonda had been killed in July, but later changed her mind and said it happened toward the end of June. The FBI did some digging after that interview with Tara. They located a Facebook profile for a Michigan woman that featured the same photo of Rashonda, the one that Tara used for her adoption opportunity listing. The FBI interviewed that woman on December 21, 2018, and she verified that the photo was her and that she had put it on her Facebook profile. However, the woman said she had never been pregnant had never told anyone she was pregnant, didn't know anyone named Tara Lee, and that she had never been shot. Tara had definitely screwed up. Did she think the FBI wouldn't figure out who Rashonda really was? There were many more examples in the complaint of how Tara took real women and used them in her adoption opportunities. But these women were either not pregnant or were pregnant but never told Tara they were interested in adoption. You heard that right. Tara often listed and matched pregnant birth mothers without their permission or knowledge. One example that Agent Sluss listed in the complaint involved birth mothers who were friends, Jane Doe 6 and Jane Doe 2. Jane Doe 2 also happened to know Tara. Jane Doe 6 was pregnant and mentioned to her friend that she wished she wasn't pregnant because she was fighting with her husband at the time. Jane Doe 6 might have said something about adoption, but she wasn't being serious. Jane Doe 2 introduced Jane Doe 6 to Tara in October of 2018 Tara proceeded to pressure Jane Doe 6 to place her baby for adoption, telling her she could get fast money if she signed documents and picked an adoptive family. 
Tara also told her that she could get her insurance and rent paid, and she wouldn't have to work. Jane Doe 6 repeatedly told Tara no, but Tara double-matched her anyway and collected tens of thousands of dollars from unsuspecting adoptive families. Tara accomplished this by having Jane Doe 2 pretend to be Jane Doe 6 on phone calls with adoptive families. And then there's Jane Doe 7, who may or may not be a real person. We say that because Jane Doe 2 had presented Jane Doe 7 to Tara as a birth mom, wanting to place her baby for adoption. Then Tara, being the loosey-goosey scammer she is, turned around and presented Jane Doe 7 as a birth mother wanting to place her baby for adoption, aka an adoption opportunity. Tara never even reached out to Jane Doe 7 to verify whether she was a real person or if she actually did want to place her baby for adoption. Jane Doe 2 was known to the FBI when Agent Sluss wrote the criminal complaint, but they withheld her name in order to protect the ongoing investigation. Jane Doe 2 had actually recorded several phone calls with Tara, and they were discovered on her phone when it was searched by the FBI. The FBI found a conversation during which Jane Doe 2 offered to pretend to be Jane Doe 7 for Tara on an upcoming call with an adoptive family. Here's how the conversation went. Jane Doe 2 asks Tara, Do you want me to talk to them? Tara says, And say that you're Jane Doe 7? Jane Doe 2 responds, Yeah, so you're not doing anything bad. Tara, But I'm still committing fraud, and you could use it against me like you did the other day. Tara's own words incriminated her. She was fully aware that she was defrauding these families, and she clearly didn't care about the damage she was doing. Shortly after this conversation, Tara called the adoptive family and connected Jane Doe 2 on a three-way call, presenting her as Jane Doe 7. When the call ended, Tara called Jane Doe 2 back and told her, They accepted. They're going to call their credit card company and get my contract signed. And as soon as it's done, I'll tell you. The unsuspecting adoptive family ended up paying Tara $13,000 in October of 2018. On November 2nd, Tara used Jane Doe 2 again for another call with the adoptive family. After this call, the family became aware of the FBI investigation and requested a refund, but Tara never gave them any money. On January 11, 2019, the day after the complaint and warrant were filed, Tara turned herself in. She was arrested and appeared before Judge Mona Mazoub on the charge of wire fraud. Tara was released later that same day on a $10,000 bond, which came with a lot of conditions set by the court. Tara had to surrender her driver's license and passport. She couldn't travel outside of the Eastern District of Michigan and couldn't work in the adoption services field. Tara wasn't allowed to do anything involving counseling. She couldn't match babies to parents, and she was barred from visiting any hospital or birthing center. In addition, Tara couldn't open a new line of credit or process credit card payments from others. She had to submit to DNA collection, get medical or psychiatric treatment, 
and avoid all contact of any kind with any person who was or would become a victim or witness to the investigation. As reported by WXYZ News, the judge made sure that Tara understood each condition before leaving the courtroom that day. And that means no personal contact, no telephonic contact, no internet contact, no social media contact, no contact through third persons. Yes, Your Honor. Understood? Tara answered yes, Your Honor, to every condition and question the judge presented to her which indicated that she understood exactly what was expected of her by the court. But Tara did not intend to follow the rules, because right before she walked into the courthouse that day, she sent a text message to her friend and adoptive parent, Kyle Bells Thomas. Tara told him to call her on her husband Jeremy's phone. Kyle did, and he and Tara talked about how to move forward with another adoption. At around 3.30 p.m., right after signing her bond documents, Tara used her husband's phone to call Kyle, and they talked for about 15 minutes. During this phone call, Tara actually read the criminal complaint to Kyle and pointed out that each allegation was not true. Tara blamed Jane Doe, too, for all of the charges against her, then proceeded to assure Kyle that she would help him and his husband, Adam, get through the adoption process. Tara used her charm to comfort Kyle, saying that she would answer any questions they had, and said, quote, I swear on my kids' lives, I will get your money back. Later that night, around 9 p.m., Tara FaceTimed Kyle and Adam to discuss how to move forward with the adoption, that she would coordinate the adoption, but have a family member or friend manage the birth mother expenses, Tara was trying to cover her tracks and get around the bond conditions that were placed on her only a few hours earlier. The next day, on January 12th, Kyle and Adam read the complaint for themselves and had a major change of tune. The complaint solidified in their minds that Tara was a fraud and a liar. They immediately stopped contacting her and wouldn't answer any calls from Tara or her family. Kyle and Adam were not the only clients Tara tried to continue adoptions with after she was released on bond. She had absolutely no regard for the judge's orders. Believe it or not, Tara acknowledged that she was not supposed to be contacting clients due to her bond conditions when she called one client in particular. Tara told this client that she was trusting them with her life and her children's lives and that the client was the only one Tara was speaking with. As if trying to threaten them, Tara told this client that if anything happened to her, she would know that they had talked to the cops. Tara made the client swear on their children's lives that they would not tell anyone that she had called them. Tara told the client to write a character reference letter for her, adding that she needed it that same day or the client would not get the money Tara had promised them. Money Tara said the client needed in order to pay their birth mother expenses directly, since Tara's accounts were now being watched. Tara likely didn't care one bit about the birth mother. It's more probable that she had intended to spend that money on herself, but she didn't want the feds to find the cash, so she tried to get rid of it. 
Tara dangled that money in front of the desperate client who was trying to ensure the birth mother's rent was paid. And Tara did it for the sole purpose of extorting a reference letter to make herself look like a good person. Gross. On February 13th, the U.S. Attorney's Office filed a motion to revoke Tara's bond and remand her to custody. The motion detailed all the ways that Tara had violated the conditions of her bond by contacting witnesses and victims and continuing to facilitate adoptions. The motion also pointed out that Tara had committed a new criminal offense, witness tampering. On February 22nd, a bond hearing was held. Judge Anthony Patty agreed with the U.S. Attorney's Office, finding there was clear and convincing evidence Tara had violated the conditions of her release. However, Judge Patty did not revoke Tara's bond. Instead, he issued new, more strict conditions. Tara would now have to wear a GPS monitor and be restricted to her residence as directed by pretrial services. Tara wasn't allowed to access any electronic device or the internet. Jeremy had to password protect all electronic devices and not share the passwords with Tara. And Tara had to get a landline phone, which was the only phone she was allowed to use. There would be zero tolerance. Any violation would send her to jail pending trial. Tara, of course, assured Judge Patty that she understood the rules and gave her word that she would not violate the bond. But her release was short-lived. Lee and a judge signed those conditions of release on Friday, February 22nd. But on Monday, February 25th, our cameras were rolling while Lee appears to be using a smartphone inside one of her vehicles. Three days. That's how long it took for Tara to be caught breaking the rules again. The U.S. Attorney's Office included that news footage in their second motion to revoke Tara's bond, which was filed on March 5, 2019. Judge Mazoub agreed with the government and said that in the two months that Tara had been on bond, her behavior had been egregious. The judge revoked Tara's bond on March 7th and she was placed in custody with the U.S. Marshals to be held in a federal facility pending her next hearing. The same day that Tara's bond was revoked, a grand jury indicted her on 18 counts of wire fraud. The indictment included much of the same disturbing information contained in the criminal complaint, but also included some new details. It noted that Tara began defrauding people in Michigan and elsewhere in 2014, that means Tara was scamming people the moment she started Always Hope and only supports the theories we've discussed in past episodes as to why Tara opened Always Hope in the first place. The indictment listed specific examples of many of the adoption schemes, the victims, how Tara pulled off the scams, and the dollar amount involved. The phone conversations with Jane Doe too that were referenced in the criminal complaint were also included. In addition, the indictment included a forfeiture allegation which stated that upon conviction of any of the listed counts of wire fraud, 
Tara had to forfeit to the government any real or personal property that came from the proceeds of her criminal activity. In this case, if found guilty, Tara had to turn over her house on Redford Drive, the one with the newly remodeled kitchen and bathrooms. The FBI continued to gather more and more evidence against Tara. They publicly released some of their findings about Tara's finances, and the figures were staggering. From 2014 to 2018, Tara's bank records show that she received business-related gross proceeds of over $2.1 million. There was a clear upward trend in proceeds each year, starting with $6,000 in 2014, $130,000 in 2015, $189,000 in 2016, $632,000 in 2017, and a whopping $1.14 million in 2018. Then there was the list of where Tara spent those proceeds and how much she spent at each location, broken down by year. The list included boat, vehicle, and mortgage payments, airline tickets, fine jewelry and clothing, furniture and electronics. Tara spent the largest amount of money at the following stores, $44,000 at Louis Vuitton, $43,000 at David Yerman, $42,000 at Hutch's Jewelry, $35,000 at Saks Fifth Avenue, $25,000 at Nordstrom, $20,000 at Cartier, and $20,000 at Pandora. And let's not overlook the $29,000 she spent on home renovations like cabinets and countertops. Overall, Tara spent a total of nearly $373,000 on her shopping sprees. And you're probably noticing a pattern here. The large majority of the scam money was spent on Tara, and Tara only. At least the cabinets and countertops were something her family could also enjoy. On July 18, 2019, a grand jury returned a new, updated indictment against Tara for 23 counts of wire fraud and one count of aggravated identity theft as it related to Jane Doe 6. The indictment also included a new defendant, a woman who up to this point was known only as Jane Doe 2. Angelica Wiggins, a 29-year-old woman from Saginaw, Michigan, was indicted on three counts of wire fraud for her part in terrorist scams. Back on May 9th, Agent Sluss had filed a criminal complaint and arrest warrant for Angelica, charging her with wire fraud and conspiracy. On May 17th, she was arrested and released on bond, pending a future court hearing. Angelica wasn't just some innocent person who Tara conned into helping her, though. Agents say Wiggins pretended to be a pregnant Jane Doe 7 and told the woman who wanted to adopt, quote, I want somebody to have the baby that's going to be really good for it. After that call, the feds say Wiggins asked Lee to give her $400, but Lee said no. Angelica inserted herself into the mix and gladly got paid for her impersonations, though sometimes she wanted more than what she got. Not surprisingly, Working with Tara wasn't Angelica's first time breaking the law. She had an extensive criminal history of her own. The FBI's investigation revealed that Angelica had prior arrests for assault, 
trespassing, fraud under false pretenses, and retail fraud. Pretty much the perfect resume for Tara and her con business. Shortly after the indictment was handed down, it was also discovered that Angelica and her husband were suspects in an embezzlement case. They were accused of stealing over $20,000 from their 93-year-old neighbor between June and July of 2019. According to a Saginaw Township police report, Angelica allegedly tricked the elderly woman into buying her over $20,000 in prepaid credit cards and gift cards. Angelica, a.k.a. Jane Doe II, told her easily confused neighbor that she and her friend, named Tara Lee, were getting a legal settlement for $71,000, but had to pay a penalty in order to get the money. Angelica convinced the elderly woman that she needed the prepaid cards in order to load money onto her phone, so the penalty could be paid via a Chase bank app. Angelica said she'd pay her neighbor back all of the money, plus some additional for her troubles, spoken like a true scam artist. Angelica also told the woman not to tell anyone about what they were doing. On top of the prepaid cards, the elderly woman loaned thousands in cash to both Angelica and her husband Randy. Fortunately, the 93-year-old woman kept meticulous records and receipts, so there was more than enough evidence of the theft. Because the crime report was written after the indictment was issued, it remained to be seen whether or not the alleged embezzlement would factor into Angelica's wire fraud trial. However, it probably did factor into Angelica being arrested again on August 1st for violating the conditions of her bond. Just like her unruly partner, Tara, she'd remain in custody pending her trial. Over the next several months, Tara appealed her detention order multiple times, but the court was not having it. She was denied at every turn, forced to remain in custody pending her trial. It would later be discovered that while incarcerated, Tara instructed her own 13-year-old daughter to contact witnesses to get them to change their testimony. Not surprisingly, Tara's daughter did her best to help her mom because she trusted that Tara would not lie to her. Would the U.S. Attorney's Office use this disturbing information against Tara at her upcoming trial? What other damaging details were still waiting to be revealed? Would there even be a trial next time on Dirty Money Moves? Carolyn, this was just an extraordinary sentencing hearing here at Federal District Court. I've never seen anything like it. Dozens of families were here. They were sobbing as they addressed the judge and some of them addressing Tara Lee directly, calling her a criminal, doing Satan's work. The judge called her disgusting and said that he could sentence her. Dirty Money Moves is a collaboration between Murderish and Cloud10 Media. Executive producers are myself, Jamie Rice, and Sim Sarna. Research and writing is done by Gina Mazzolini. Emily Crane does the audio mixing and editing. Josh Cook composed the music, and Brian Stefanik created the podcast cover art. Follow us at Dirty Money Moves on Instagram and TikTok. 
If you like the show, please do us the biggest favor by reviewing the podcast and leaving us a few stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. If you're into true crime content, check out my other podcast, Murderish. A list of sources used for this episode is available at Murderish.com. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week for a brand new episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.